interest in the following audio recording produced by Chesterton House, a center for Christian studies at Cornell University. Support for Chesterton House comes entirely from listeners like you, and we invite you to help us continue making the recordings of past lectures available at no cost through a donation to the ministry. You can find additional resources and make a donation at www.chestertonhouse.org. This audio recording is copyrighted and unauthorized duplication is prohibited. What's some thoughts or questions, comments? Anybody want to say anything? React? Disagree? Yes. Hmm. Tell me what you're thinking a little bit behind your question so I can maybe catch up with your thought because I, I don't quite see the connection. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think I, I think I get it now, and and let me let me try this. To the extent that the Manhattan Declaration is a declaration of resurrection victory, I would question it. To the extent that it is a declaration of our intent to be the people of God on the way to the cross for and with Jesus. Living out of our lives all the protests that we can about the things that are wrong in our world. But doing it not from a stance of victory. And therefore not so much a a line in the sand. Then I'm for it. And my problem with it, I have not read the whole thing, I've read it through kind of quickly, is the tone sometimes is a little, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a bit in your face kind of tone. And I, I don't know, maybe there's a place for that. As long as it's backed up, I would say, by people in their local churches doing the things that local churches do, you know, listening to the word, growing the word, caring for one another, Extending the gospel to their neighborhoods, their community, and the world, and and taking 
stands in their own communities for the things that are good and true and beautiful. That's where the real work of the kingdom is done. Not in these big statements. That's my honest feeling. I've been around long enough, as as a number of you have, to see a lot of big statements that have come out in one way or another since the 70s or whatever from the church. I don't know if they do much good. Well, I'll tell you what does good is this church in this community serving the people, serving one another and serving the people of this community and praying for Cornell University and finding small and large ways to bring the gospel to bear. Anyway. So I don't, I don't, I don't object to it. Just don't think it's the only thing we should be doing. Yes, uh, Carl. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think it does. Yeah, I mean, the men are the hunter-gatherers. The men go out, and, you know, the women... Uh, I mean, sorry for the gender stereotypes. If, if it is offensive, I don't mean it to be. But there is a sense in which, you know, women mind the home and the nest and they're nurturers and men are the aggressors. And, the, and, and okay, is that just the way we are? Yes. And that's maybe... The way our lives work. I'm not saying that men or women should not be um, concerned about, as we were talking before, as Richard brought out, doing the right thing successfully, well, as stewards of the gifts that Christ has given us. And I do think that maybe particularly men need to do that more mindful than even sometimes our spouses need to be, of the inherent weaknesses in us, the frailty in us, that says, in effect, the only way this little Petros is going to amount to anything, Petros is going to amount to anything, is if, is if God is in it. And therefore, admitting our need from the outset. You know... I don't know how to say it. If you're, if you are, if you are a gifted uh, teacher, or you're a, a scientist, or you um, you are an electrical engineer, be be good, be a success at what you do. Please do it with all your heart, and do it with uh, great zeal that you're working for the Lord, and something good is happening out of that. But as you move into it, what is your spirit? What's your attitude? And as men, I think we need to work on that probably even more than women do. I don't know if I'm getting at your question, Carl, or not. Feel free to tell me I didn't. Yes, Richard. Richard's going to tell me I didn't, so that's okay.
I know some good counselors in this area, uh, Richard. Yeah, I, I, you know, what can I say? I come, I come to a time like this <clears throat> with three, four, six messages, whatever I've got, in that are focused around a theme, and the theme inevitably leads a certain way. And I'm, I clearly recognize the need to be balanced. You know, if you go home this afternoon and I guess football's over, what's on, basketball, or we're getting ready for the Olympics, you know, and you just enjoy watching the Olympics or, um, you know, you go see a movie tonight and you go out to a nice restaurant and have a wonderful dinner. You know, there's feast days in the Bible and there's uh, celebrations. They're there for a purpose. Um, So I'm... I. I think we ought to enjoy life. I just have to bear to you my own testimony, which is this, that I have never enjoyed life more than I have since I got out of the center of the universe. I've never enjoyed life more than than when I've recognized that I am not, you know, as my wife put it, the... the general manager of the universe, that I am, you know, that I am the person who just, I'm one more bozo on the bus. Listen, you la- we laugh, but you know, do you know, honestly, I would tell you, friends, if, if I, I would never say that before, and I, I always thought of myself as sort of a humble person, but, you know, the idea of being ordinary, just something I couldn't stand. I couldn't stand that idea. And in a certain sense, I still can't stand it, and I don't want to be ordinary, and you don't either. You want to do very well what you do, and you want to enjoy life in the process and 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 have fun and all the rest of it. But at the same time, we've got to recognize that the I think the best way to move into that way of living is humbly in an understated way, not triumphalistically, 
in a reserved way where I don't need to brag about my credentials as I walk in the door. Subtly, of course, we would never do it. You know, that's the way the Greeks were so good. They used to display their rank without being very overt about it. Um, we just need to take all that junk and put it away because it doesn't fit the life of Christ. And then, uh, you know, who was it who said, love God and do as you please? I've heard it attributed to many different people. Who? Augustine said that? Yeah. I think that's pretty good. Um, so I, I hope, I really don't mean to be too too negative. Go uh, kick some leaves and pat some puppy dogs. Yeah. Yeah. I I think you may be right that that um Okay, I'm going to really get in trouble. I think Protestants don't take the incarnation seriously enough. And if you're a pastor in the room, I know you you will say, "Well, I try and take it seriously and teach it and I do too." But I think that we are somewhat platonic as Protestant believers. And we do believe that we need to kind of either live in the spiritual realm or in the physical and material realm. And by golly, don't spend much time in that physical realm because that's dangerous, that's bad. And that's because Plato, who preceded Christ by several hundred years, remains and persists as the one who gave us the greatest Christian heresy we've ever had to this day that we see things divided up like that. And I think what you're saying, in some ways when you speak about your Catholic and Jewish friends, you know, they do not see life that way because, I mean, my argument would be the Catholics take the incarnation of Christ very seriously. We may not like where they go with it in some ways and where their understanding of it, but they take the idea that God became flesh and thereby he blessed every fleshly thing. And therefore, candles and incense and smells and bread and wine and touch and feel and even statues and things that we don't necessarily want to get into, they like because it's stuff. The, the gritty world is okay. There's good reasons why Protestants have said we don't want that stuff. Just as long as we make sure that we don't despise the earthly, the real, the touchable, the tangible. Am I in trouble yet, Dave? Okay. This is a Bible church, you know. I want to make sure I'm not in trouble. All right, someone else. Should I move into these questions that are up here? Got a couple of... Yes, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you know I need to say in the presence of other pastors with other traditions that others in our Protestant community may see it differently. Okay, so well, <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave. All right, um, I say uh, what I understand a sacrament to be is an outward and visible demonstration of an inward and invisible reality. Outward and visible demonstration or symbol 
of an inward and invisible reality or grace. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay. Um, Let's see. It is also written in stone inside the lobby of the CIA building in Langley. Oh, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. It's in the CIA building in Langley? Wow. Okay. (laughs) That was sort of fun. It's like David Letterman or something, you know. How do we separate uh, satanic, unjust pride as opposed to self-esteem? Real, honest view of one's talents, qualities, and abilities. Okay. In other words, where does um, self-esteem in an appropriate and proper way, appreciating what I have and what my gifts are and how God intends to perhaps use me, how do I separate that from uh, pride that is um, ultimately destructive and even, as this person says, satanic perhaps? How do we? How do you make that separation? Very carefully. <laughs> yeah, um, one is one thing, and the other is the other thing. That's for sure. It's kind of like you know, you know it when you see it. Um, I certainly, I feel like I know it when I see it in someone else. And there's a lot we don't know about what's going on in people, but you can can't you sometimes tell when a person is being really upfront about what they can do, what they want to do, what they want to bring to the party, what they think, how they think they can help, what's important, and and they're really taking the situation and leading it in an appropriate way, versus a person who is full of pride and self. And there really is a difference. You can kind of tell it when you feel it. Just like you can sort of also smell the difference between real humility and fake humility. You know, the sort of fake humility that that, um, is oozing with pride. (laughs) So, you know, how, how do we work on these things in our lives? Well, one way to do it is to become a a drug addict. You could do that, and that would sort of help clarify things for you. But short of that, um, there does need to be clarifying situations in our lives. We do need to look for those situations which will refine our motives, help us look inside, whether that's done in a little community whether it's done in, in our own prayer time. You know, I think we underestimate the, the significance of prayer in something like this. Here's what I mean. If this, if, if whoever wrote this, if this is an honest concern, you, you just don't, you know, you don't know where your honest affirmation of yourself takes off, leaves off and where pride begins, pray. Say, Lord, I don't know where one leaves off and one takes off. Would you show me? If you pray that every day for two weeks, I would almost guarantee you that 
you will begin to get clarity on that. I'm not trying to put the Lord in a box by saying two weeks or anything of the kind, but you will begin to get discernment about that. One of the things I have started doing in the morning, every morning, as much as I can, is I get on my knees before I do anything else, and I pray roughly these words. Lord, I offer myself to you today to build something out of me, to do with me whatever you want. Relieve me of the burden of myself. Take away my sins and my character defects that I may witness to those you love of your truth, your beauty, your grace. May I do your will today. Now, you know, I started, I started doing that a, a while back and, and maybe a month or so after that, I started thinking about all my character defects. I started thinking about, you know, the little things that, you know, I maybe just accepted in myself for many years and didn't really question. I said, what in the world am I doing this for? Is this, this sounds, you know, why am I thinking all this stuff? And then I realized, well, I've been praying that I would. I prayed that the Lord would, you know, take these away. Well, he's likely to bring them to your consciousness as he takes them away. So I, I think if we pray this way about a question like this, you will begin to discern in yourself the difference. And you'll know one, you know, smells like rotten fish and the other smells like a dozen roses. Okay? Um, uh-oh. Honesty is a fine thing, but is it really good to live a life of naked confession? What about speaking the truth in love? Uh, Ephesians 4.15 and also Ephesians 4.29. Uh, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Um, and, yeah, and um, uh, you also quote Job 38.2. Who is this who darkens my counsel by words without knowledge? Hmm. 1 Corinthians 6. Um, For, this is yours? Yeah. Okay. Well, our speech is to be seasoned with salt, needful for the moment, uh, appropriate. Said things said out of love and for love. I I absolutely agree. Helpful for building up one another. The benefit of the one who listens. And I absolutely agree. So I suppose it's one thing to get our hearts ready to speak honestly about what's going on inside of them. And it's another thing to pray that we'd have discernment now about when to share, when not to share, what to say and what not to say, so that it does fulfill the Lord's commands to build up and not tear down. So I, I guess I would, I would certainly agree. 
in my experience as a Christian, um, many people are carrying around many, many secrets that are burdening them and hurting them and pulling them into less effective and less fruitful and less joyful lives. And when they find the appropriate and beneficial and loving way to speak about what is going on in their hearts, then I think they become better equipped to be the Lord's instruments. Look, sin, my secrets are tied to sin. And secrets and sin keep me from knowing, keep me from living within and through Jesus. I'm still a Christian, but they rob me of the wonder and the joy of being a Christian. So I need to get rid of my secrets and my sins. And sometimes that's done just with the Lord, like we've said, but sometimes it needs the encouragement of being candid before a community or a small community, a few friends or something that prompt this kind of honesty in us because it's just not there by nature. We're like Adam and Eve. We hide. We hide. It's the first instinct. We do something wrong, we hide it. Absolutely the first instinct. And then we blame our wives, like Adam blamed Eve. We blame God, you know, because, you know, we know he's hard on us. and And we just have all these reasons why we hide. And we're not kidding. We may be kidding some of the people some of the time, but we're certainly not kidding the Lord. Yes. Yeah. Yes, very good. You know, so much of this depends on what we're talking about, what kind of thing we're talking about. Look, if if you're a man and you have a trouble, you struggle with pornography on the Internet, and in this room, I don't know how many people are here, 80, something, um, the the estimates are that at least one out of four, sometimes more men, uh, are, are struggling with that. Okay? So I'm going to assume some of you are. Um, if you're, if you are, and you decide that you need to be honest with the Lord and, you know, with someone else who's going to help you with that problem, then I would encourage you not to share it in your Sunday school class with men and women there. I would encourage you not to share it around your kitchen table with your, your wives and your small children, if that's the case. Really. I mean, there is prudence here and there is wisdom. And as, as our brother has rightly said, what benefits the other, what helps another, not what hurts them. So be, we have to be careful. But that is not the problem most of men have who struggle with pornography. <laughs> the problem they have is it's, it's a secret that they cannot and will not speak of for all the obvious reasons. So I'm working on that side of it, but I also think the reminder is very appropriate that it be done as we Presbyterians say, decently and in order. we got time for a couple more questions before our ending time, or we can end right now. Yes, Carl?
Yeah, I, I think we probably do. Most often in our churches, that may be the way we uh, we use it, is the materially poor. And But I, I think we've been trying to say here, look, the neediness in each of us, where is that? What is it? Where does it come from? And how do I bring that into the light of Christ's love and, and grace? And I think we need to do that for college students like we do it for ourselves. Um, college students seem pretty ready to me. That's why my comment last night that one of you rightfully, I think rightfully questioned was this idea of, you know, the future belongs to the young and all that. I, I do think that college students are often, not always, but they're often more prepared to kind of be upfront about some of the stuff going on in their lives. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's true. I so what's that mean? We need to help one another who are no longer in that stage of life uh, where we do have something to lose. You know, I'm not I, I'm not suggesting that we should all be seeking ways to lose our reputations or lose what we have or lose our certainly our marriages or our close relationships. No. I am I, I think that um, um, I am suggesting that we we find appropriate ways to to be candid about what's really going on in our hearts and lives. Yeah. You got an idea, Dave? Well, one of my questions um, has to do with what Carl was asking. And that is, uh, it, it seems like uh, in the social networking realm, we know everything about everybody. We have pictures about uh, what we did last week, or uh, you see a Facebook note, I'm going down the hall, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the, the question I have, uh, and I agreed with you last night about the church, uh, and we have much to learn from the honesty of, of the young people, uh, that, uh, that they are not the church of the future. They're the church now. And the children are the church now. And somehow, as, as we grow up together in this intergenerational mix, we, we can't say that any of us have arrived. Mm. And as we share our lives with each other, uh, we catch a glimpse of what God's doing in each of us. And so I've really appreciated, Skip, mm. the, the movement um, into not just the interior, but the the wonder of the grace of God in Christ that we need to explore more. 
whether you're a child or whether you're 92 like Ray uh, and beyond, that mm. the grace of God uh, sets us free. Mm. And his truth sets us free. So I, I don't know. Mm. It was, uh, I just added that. Thank you, Pastor. That's good. It's well said. And on that note, we're going to end because it's a good note to end on. Thank you. So um, we're not going to end quite yet. Oh. We have three minutes. Um, you, you, you need to uh, sit down. Oh. And, yes, sir. And, and you need to take your uh, evaluation sheet out. And what I would like for you to do, honestly, is to take these three minutes and.